Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, and it must be a spy day because Joe Joe Goldberg is is somewhere around. I'm in the house. I'm back from looking at my tomatoes in the garden, and I'm in the house. It's a Midwestern thing. Big tomato. Tomatoes. You haven't picked them yet? Like, what's going on? No, but the squirrels are loving them. So I'm going to. Oh, you're battling with the squirrels, right? Perimeter defenses are up now. Yeah. uh, I called up some of my friends, like Scott, who have no problem, uh, you know, practicing taking out a few squirrels. He's a good marksman. I I hate to say it, but I'm putting money on the squirrels. (laughs) The thing is, I feed them too. So I figured if you you can't beat them, feed them. So they hang around and they say, hey, Joe's not here. Let's go grab one of his tomatoes while we're waiting around for him. Like, yeah, well, you're, you're, you're shooting yeah, yourself idiot. in the foot. I'm an idiot. Yeah. Next you'll be feeding the bears and they'll be living uh, in your basement. You're in Canada. You got the bears. The oh, bear. but they're fun. They're friends. Friends yeah, of bears. bears. Bears are awesome. Bears are awesome. Yeah. Just like Steve. Steve's awesome. Yeah. Well, Lance Bear Wolf. That's right. Oh, holy cow. Yeah. That was a mix. Of is, a, there's your segue. I gave it to you. A little bit of there. a coyote, too, right? Yeah. So we've got um, high ranking. Secret Service agent. No, we've got <laughs> we've got an action thriller writer here with us today, and his newest book is called Shadow Sanction. And let's welcome Steve Stratton. Thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Steve, now you've got quite the background with the White House and and presidents and all this sort of stuff. How how did you get into that kind of work originally? So I had joined the Army late 73, um, wanting to stay in the Pacific Northwest, 
get up to maybe the Ranger Battalion up in uh, Fort Lewis there in Washington State and just, you know, get in the Army, get some money for college and enjoy the Pacific Northwest. Um, I grew up in Northern California, so not a big stretch. Lots of aunts and uncles up that way. And uh, I was at basic training in Fort Ord in beautiful Monterey when these guys showed up in longer hair. Everybody had longer hair than us recruits, right? <laughs> With the buzz jobs, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a big jump there. But uh, they also had suits on, and uh, they took our whole basic training company, stuffed us into the theater, and these guys started talking about this unit back in D.C. And, um, you know, you travel, you get a clearance. There's lots of different slots, things like that, audiovisual, electronics and things. And I'd scored really high on electronics. But what intrigued me was D.C. and and these guys with non, non-army haircuts and suits on. I thought, that's got a James Bond edge to it. That's interesting. So I just kept raising my hand. And they never told me the unit. They accepted me. They put me in for PS, a, a Yankee white clearance. And uh, partway through, I was going through some training. I went from Monterey to Oklahoma to Fort Gordon, Georgia, where the electronics, Army electronics schools were. And I got worried at one point and I called up my sponsor. And I said, I'm not going to be, you know, clicking my heels and walking back and forth in front of the uh, tomb of the unknown soldier. Am I, you know? That's the, it's that, if that's the job, I'll do it. But yeah, you know, he's like, no, no, we're, uh, we got other things planned. So just finish the course as fast as you can. It was self-paced and I'll catch you when you get to DC. And, um, so it was, I have a habit of volunteering and 95% of every time I volunteer, it's turned out to be valuable in some way, whether in a career or learning something new I didn't know. And so, um, you know, some would say the luck of the, the Irish was with me, and and that's how I ended up in uh, White House Communications Agency. My first duty station was at the corner of Wisconsin and M in Georgetown, where there's about a about at that time there's about a, a sixty to one ratio of young ladies to men. It was a it was a great place for a du- first duty station. I got my thousand uh, dollar uh, clothing uh, stipend. So I went right to Jacques Penet, that famous uh, French designer, and and bought you know bought the striped striped shirts and the check pants, you know, because I was you know uh, a fashion icon, styling and groovy, <laughs> very groovy, and and the and it, and then it just took off from there. And it turned out I was supporting at the time. I got there. Funny story. I got there just before Nixon resigned, and my sponsor brings me in, and he points at this building. He says, "You know what that is?" And I said, "That." It looks like the Watergate. He's like, yeah, don't go there. I said, I guess, <laughs> and being a smart Alec, I said, well, I guess that means I can have breakfast at the Howard Johnson. He's like, no, 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 just stay away from those places. That, how did it change your perspective? But, uh, you know, because being a, a, more of an average Joe, and all of a sudden you're in communications for the presidents, like with Ford and Carter and all that, like I said. So, uh, it, it, did, did it kind of... I don't know, open your eyes or did you see a whole whole different world that you didn't expect or was it what you expected? No, I saw a whole different world. You know, I, my my world, what broadened my world as a kid all the way through until the time I left left home was my aunt and uncle had a subscription to National Geographic. <laughs> and so that's how I that's how I saw the rest of the world. <laughs> so, you know, and and it it certainly one one perspective you know, and, and occasionally in the in the newspapers or even when we lived in the Bay Area, when my father was uh, sailing back and forth to Vietnam, you know, there'd be news, of course, about the Vietnam War, about some other things. 
you know, but as a teenager, uh, when I started getting close to draft ages, when I started to pay attention more, but the internationally I got it, but I had no clue, you know, am I supposed to salute the president? I'm not in uniform. Am I, you know, so I just took the, you know, my parents had taught me how to be respectful with my seniors and stuff. And that paid off. And, uh, when I ended up at a dinner, I just kept my hands in my lap until I saw which of the 17 forks, knives, or spoons somebody else used. Yep. And, and so I, I good plan. Good plan. Yeah. I faked it till I made it kind of idea. Um, not that I still remember all that part of fancy, you know, formal dinners, but, uh, yeah, it was very eye opening. My first trip out of the United States, we stopped in Paris overnight. Then we went to Delhi, New Delhi. And I got to see a part of the world I'd only seen like through National Geographic. And then the actual stop, and it was a vice president trip, was in Dhaka, Bangladesh, where there was no embassy, just a consulate, had bullet holes all around in the building and the surroundings of the building and stuff like that. So very first trip out of the United States was very eye-opening, especially with regards to other parts of the world and actually seeing and getting a feel for the poverty, right, in some parts of the world. So how did the people and the experiences you had back then shape your writing or your desire to write? Yeah, it, um, number one, it, it gave me this interest in, of course, like, like, like James Bond was often set, was always set someplace else, right? So that kind of not only is spy world, Joe and intrigue, but also in these other beautiful settings around the world, right? That, um, early on, I had this appreciation that there's so many more America is beautiful. I've not even seen all of it at the age of 69. But there are some other parts of the world that, that are just stunning. I've always uh, been around um, for the majority of the time. It's been friendly people and, and you know, that are interested in, in uh, you know, what America's like and things like that. So I had great relationships. I had to work. I had and um, discussions with people. I had to worry about relationships, right, with clearance and everything going on. But uh one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees promo rate for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It did. It really gave me a perspective like this. The first book I wrote, which I, I honestly can say I took the short route and wrote a revenge book. The first book is about revenge, so I didn't have to dive too deep into character development. Um, but the second book takes place in Af- it's 2003. It takes place in Afghanistan, Iran, Germany, England, the Crow Reservation. So it is uh, in New York City. So it's a much broader kind of setting like that. So I have an appreciation for that. And, and uh, what some of our other, you know, thriller writer, um, what I call the leadership, you know, um, do with scenes and sets and things like that. So, so let's talk about the uh, premise of the story. Let's talk about what. Now, this is book uh, two, isn't it, of Shadow yes. Tear, right? So, um, what what is Shadow Tear, the series? Like, maybe explain the outline of a uh, of the series. Sure, great question. The starts off. My protagonist is just retired, uh, left the army after twelve years. He's still in the guard, but he goes on vacation with his parents to Puerto Vallarta. They're driving back up Route 15 to the parents' house in Tucson when they stop for lunch at a seafood restaurant where um, unfortunately the owner is skimming money from the Sinaloa cartel, skimming money and product, and they come back to get it. And there's gunfight and his stepfather's killed at the site and his stepmother's injured. And then as a witness, they get rid of her at the hospital. So Lance is uh, bent on revenge and starts bringing friends into the fray. First friend he brings in is an intelligence expert at SOCOM. That's where he's a contractor. So now that he's not full-time army. And over time, governments and the Sinaloa cartel realize who's doing this. And a cartel puts pressure on the Mexican government to label him a terrorist. And here he is in Florida getting, you know, getting uh, 
investigated by the FBI and everybody, and a colonel, who in the second book is the executive director of the of Shadow Tier, he realizes and, and tells leadership that Lance and the team of people he's brought together are doing have done more in six months than, you know, than has been done in the last several years in the drug war kind of idea. So they build this team out, but because the in, in, there's an increase in counterterrorism activity, it's not like they can just draw off the tier one teams, right? So Shadow Tier is actually a collection of National Guard Reserve, Special Forces, Air Force, Marines, uh, Navy SEAL. Most people don't re realize there's a couple of Navy SEAL teams that are reservist, and that's where they get their people, but it's 100% focused on the drug war. It's amazing. So how did you create your main character in this? Um, where, where does where does he come from? Yeah, so when, when my wife finally convinced me to write this book, I'd been playing around since like October of 93 with different ideas. I always thought I was a good storyteller, not a writer. And she finally convinced me to start writing. And I thought, I need a protagonist that's just not, you know, is not another Scott Harvath or a Pike Logan or these kind of folks or the gray man. You know, I need to do something different. And I want somebody to bring a different perspective to the fight. And um, I live I live outside of Denver. Um, I've read a lot about Chief Plenty Coup from the Crow Nation, who was considered the the, the chief of chiefs and represented a lot of the nations back in, in Washington, D.C., and has a an amazing backstory himself, a real-life backstory. Um, so that's where I got Lance's background. And I even did created some, some uh, missions that Lance went on where other people who were in the first book were his leadership and things like that. So I created all this backstory so I could write the first book and have it flow through into a series and uh, had a fun time doing that and put a lot of energy into making sure that I'm, uh, you know, treating the uh, culture of the Crow Indian tribe correctly and, you know, um, making use of some of those things that they do as a people that, that are different than, you know, Anglo-Saxons and, you know, normal everyday Joes, like you mentioned. So uh, put that all together and, and started down the path of writing the book. And I got very lucky early on. Jerry Jenkins, who wrote the Left Behind series, lives about an hour away in down near Colorado Springs. And I got a mentorship with him. And uh, I got a lot of learning in that six months. So you started with the plot and then built your character into the plot you've been thinking about? Or how did you work that? Yeah, well, there was a, a, a real life inciting incident that happened. Um, my mother passed away in Mexico by herself in a hospital because um, some actually Sinaloa drug runners ran into my dad's truck on her side. So that happened in 93. So I always had that. And I had done storyboards. I'd done PowerPoints and just playing around with the idea. Even did a Gantt chart, <laughs> you know, critical path, everything. You know, it just as a techie, I was just using those as means to keep the story fresh and develop ideas. And then one day I just started to bring all those pieces together. Uh, one of the hardest parts, as you can imagine, was uh, the story is set in 1998. And I had to remember what tech we had and not, you know, not, didn't have back then kind of idea. So how about the Indian culture piece? Is it, how, how did you work that? Did you, did you talk to them? Have you had any feedback? What's the, yes. how's that all yeah. work out? Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time on the phone. I didn't get to the 
the the uh, tribal event last year, but I will go this year. But I spent a lot of time with the people at the college up there, some great professors, made sure I was reading the right kind of things, using the right kind of uh, uh, lexicon of language and words when I included those in the book, just a few, um, and some of the traditions of, uh, you know, why it's called the Bighorn Mountains and all kinds of good stuff there. So I drew on that on the first book and I get more into it and really almost at an NGA level kind of map understanding of the reservation so that I could put various events into it in the second book. So I continue to stay in touch with them. A lot of great folks up there, but there's a lot of, from a law enforcement standpoint and the culture itself, there's a lot of pressure on the Crow Nation culture. Um, cause I weave real life events, uh, from today into my books. And one of the things that they've seen as friend is across a lot of reservations is that cartel members are trying to marry into these reservations. The reservations by and large are, are fairly large size and not well patrolled compared to, you know, other places. Um, so they're like huge national park size and not well patrolled. So the cartels are starting to use spots in those places and, and, you know, like they have been national parks to, to create meth and other things, uh, unobstructed. So, so it seems very important to you. What, do you have a point or some sort of a subtext that you want people to take away from, from your book? Uh, besides the fact that I hate the demand for drugs is so high. Um, yeah. No, it's actually, yeah. No, I try not to, to step into the, to the political or, or, you know, or I try not to speak for the, the Crow people. Um, but, um, just use, like, say, some of that culture to, to have Lance be different, think differently. Um, you know, people, first time they've met Lance and they're going on a mission with him, he's over there singing his death song. And they're like, what, what do you mean? Is he, you know, is he seeking death? And oftentimes he has to explain, no, that's not it at all, you know? Um, so those are the kind of things I weave in, but I'm not, I'm not trying to make a point, just entertain. How do you see your character like Lance? How do you, how do you interact with, with that character or how do you write the dialogue? I guess would be the, the way to say it. Yeah. It, it, um, I keep in, I keep in mind that Lance grew up in two worlds. He, you know, the reservation and the U S military. He did, he did see some parts of the world. He was assigned at one time and to seventh group down in, in South America. So he got to see other cultures there and things like that. And, and so I, I do bring that Lance has more of an international view of the world and people, but, but his real, um, because of what happened still with his parents and things, he still has real, um, struggle when it comes to, um, in my case, since the books, like in 2003, he struggles with El Chapo still walking the planet and, um, you know, what it's doing, like what drugs for doing even back then in, in the United States and certainly on the reservations. So um, it's almost like a, a personal war for Lance. And um, having been involved in some of that in my time in special forces down in South America and, and you know, seeing what, what was happening in Venezuela and Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Chile with drugs, um, I can lend some of that to that dialogue. So what does Steve like about writing? What don't, what don't you like? It's 
I'll leave it at that. I can, I can explain. Yeah. You call yourself a new writer. You know, there's the leadership of the guy. So what do, what do you like? Well, I'm definitely, I, uh, behind me, you know, I've got pretty wide selection. When I, I, I love, there's, there's some science fiction that I love. Like, okay, I'll be honest. I've read everything from Herbert and Herbert's son, you know, everything about Dune nine ways to Sunday. We'll allow that. That's good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, uh, Stephen Connolly and, uh, of course, Mark Greeny, Brad Taylor, you know, uh, Brian and Jeff, they're, they're all writing and especially Brian and Jeff, they're writing so many interesting different things that, that, um, I like that. I like a bit of tech being in, after I left the service, secret service and, and, uh, even I was in the national guard as a special forces guy. I was always in tech and cybersecurity, insider threat, uh, developing systems and or software. So there's, there's a, I love writing about tech, you know, the, the, the application of tech, not just tech for tech's sake. Uh, but like I'm developing another character now for a different series and she is, um, profoundly deaf. She wears an implant. But when you tie that implant with a transceiver and a set of Google like glasses, now, now I've got something interesting to help that challenged person, you know, be in the field, for example. So I enjoy that. I enjoy that the, the, the hero's journey imply, imparting some technology in that. And, uh, you know, along the way, maybe asking, uh, having some dilemmas about using tech and or physical means to get information and stuff like that. So I've not yet have found the struggle of the middle, <laughs> the drag of the middle. I've not found it yet, but um, I'm sure it's going to pop up and smack me upside the head here shortly. So what don't you like? What don't I like? Um, Interviews. <laughs> <laughs> me no actually uh, yeah, yeah yeah i'm, I'm sorry that's so classified. Way back. yeah I, that's classified i can't talk about it uh the uh no i am i'm learning so much and that's what i like to do i like to learn new things stretch my brain um i guess if i was going to say one thing that i don't like is um searching around for software to help me because i i will yeah, I definitely i have a great great editor and I like to give her a decent product. <laughs> it seems like some of the software that we might use, you know, the different uh, systems you can buy to help uh, with just plain old English don't always help. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, editing, I guess I get to it. Editing is probably, you know, the the thing um, I like. I like and I've done this. The first book I had probably 75 to 100 yellow stickies. We have a wall of cookbooks. My wife has 1,600 cookbooks. So we have this wall of bookcases. And I had, it was old school, Joe. It was like yellow stickies and, and, and yarn going all over the. I got them. I got them. Here. Here we go. Here's one. There you go. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that. And I love putting the plot together. And, you know, it's, it's between be, being detective and, and intel, intel analyst. You know, that's the fun part of it. But editing, getting back into editing and making it tight because it's easy to tell a blah, 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 long story, the editing to make it nice and crisp and tight. Um, I'm fascinated by it, but it's a grind for me. Do you use a writing tool? Do you use Shrivener? What do you, what do you use? Well, I do with Word and I've just been playing around with Autocrit. Um, okay. Because they gave us that, they gave us that deal at, uh, uh Thriller Fest and, um, 
I like some parts of it, especially if it tells me this part of your writing is a 99, but when it says others, yeah. you're 70s. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Helps you get better, though. It does. Those tools help you get. Writing action scenes. How do you go about that? Um, I've always been a visual learner. I'm very visual. I, you know, I think, um, and, um, whether it's through, through my martial arts, combatives training in the military, you know, some other things I've, John in the Secret Service, law enforcement with law enforcement friends. Um, I'm, I think I just visualize those scenes pretty well. Occasionally I have a, a good friend who was, uh, supported special forces, uh, from an intelligence position in Afghanistan. He happens to be a black belt in jujitsu and judo. And so we'll, uh, go through some of the scenes and, and roll around and, See if it's really true. I try not to get so detailed that it's hard to follow, but uh, you know, do want some realism. Um, and I, I apply some of the things I know about anatomy from being a medic. So it's pretty easy for me to visualize, uh, a scene. Do, do you think about the violence you write in, 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 on the page or in the book or do you, uh, you just put it as it goes? In the first book, I had some deliberate serious violence in the book. Lance is just deep into the, you know, the, the, the well of revenge. Um, and you know, some people commented on that as it might be, you know, it was a little over the top. Um, second book, second book, uh, not so much. There's not much in the way of interrogation scenes. There's, I think I even talk about the Kabarak man- manual and a couple of other things in, uh, in the first book, which were products from the seventies, the eighties that were slightly less than enhanced. Um, procedures. So I, uh, pulled back from that in the second book. So violence, I, 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 I'm not into gratuitous violence. Like I can't think of what to write now. I'll just throw in a scene of a shooting and a, some violence or blood spilled everywhere. I do like a, a, a little bit more cerebral kind of, not that I consider myself uh, real smart, but I, I like more of uh, that Lance is, is more thoughtful than in, in the second book than reactive. We talked about your travels and early on the areas of the world. How important is setting to you? Yeah, it is. It is important. And you know what? Um, Taylor Moore, you know, his, his great debut novel and stuff. He and I talked at the last thriller fest for an hour or more about setting and stuff like that. And, and without, without, and, and, um, AJ, Tony, Tony Tata and the way he describes a setting in like Total Empire. We talked also. So I think it's very important and something I want to grow in, you know, make sure I don't, once again, have my editor help me make sure I don't overdo it, but be able to ground people better in setting because it's in my head. The problem is I sometimes I forget to put it on the page. I know what's going on. Why don't you, you know? Uh, but yeah, I love, I love setting. Um, there's certainly a lot of us from, with the experience that know that, yeah, if, if, if the setting's in Vienna, you know, everybody's looking, going, what's going on in Vienna, you know, and everybody knows, you know, there's a certain um, element of espionage in Vienna 24-7, those kinds of things. But, uh, yeah, setting's great. Some of the people we talk to basically treat setting as a character, like Winslow and Crowd, and that, and, and that do you think of it that way? Because I've started to put that in my mind, setting as a character. No, that I, I'm with you, Joe. I've just started to collect that. I mean, I use... I, you know, I use scenes and I like when, when, um, at the end of the, uh, first book, when, when Lance and the team have permission to go over the border 
after El Chapo and some of his lieutenants at a meeting, you know, I, I sketched out the, the ranch he was at, what the front room looks like, where the chairs were, where the ashtrays were for the cigars, all that. Right. And, and so, um, yeah, I mean, Winslow's cartel, right. was so, so deep. You, 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 you know, felt like you were there. So yeah, I'm, I'm putting more of that in as I continue to learn how to write. You know, the action pieces, like I say, like like you're asking about, Alan, those are the easy pieces for me. It's like the the more intellectual parts, the the, the not espionage, but the, the intelligence gathering, the detective work it takes to to get close to some of these cartel people. If I play that right, the, the scene is an element of that. How do I use the scene to help me do that? I think for, for me, you've got to take the scene. The location has got to be a character in the sense of, um, wherever you are, that location has a personality. It has a smell. It has a feel. Um, there's textures that you can bring out. Uh, you know, like New York brings a certain feel or that the personality of that city, the behavior of the city, uh, comes through. And that's kind of how a setting can be written. Right. Um, to an to to a good extent for me i think that's the best way to write um setting as a character you gotta you gotta i imagine myself yeah i i imagine this the, the location as a character in the sense of what's the personality of where i'm at what's the feel you know what's the smell what's the, what's the sounds i hear what are they yeah, you know things like that, and if you start thinking of that and you start writing it into the setting, it becomes a character. That's that's for me. Yeah, I think in the in the actually in the third book, uh, which takes place um, at Shadow Tears headquartered at McDill at the end of the runway over on the far side of the runway. Um, there's an old B-52 ready bunker there, and so I've been there many times, and so I put that's where I put them. But in the third book, most of the book is. Uh, Sacramento, Chico, uh, the Bay Area, and the Redwoods up north. And I grew up in that area. And so I did a lot more of that setting, even around Lawrence Livermore and um, places just outside the Bay Area. So I think I achieved that a lot more. But you're, you're 100% right that, that you know, if we can get people's mindset into this area, give them the senses, not just say, hey, we're in, you know, Los Mujeres, you know, Mexico or Sinaloa. So Sonora, Mexico, it's like, oh, great, scrubby desert. What's that do for me? You know, so I think that's very positive. It, it's, it, the whole process is interesting, but you learn each time. And uh, I'd imagine going from book one to book two, after you finished book one, um, you probably wrote book two differently because of what you would learn through that first process. Absolutely. And I continue to learn, like uh, the fourth book that I'm working on, now I'm playing with the Lance being in first person and other people being in third. Um, and, and I've got 40,000 words and trying to understand how that should flow. And so it doesn't feel so clunky and different things like that. At the same time, I'm applying all the lessons from the first, first three books about, about setting scene and timing and, and making sure plot points just, you know, things aren't happening that dead end for no reason and stuff like that. So I, I would imagine you've seen a lot of change in the whole espionage world, you know, the whole spy and, the, you know, CIA and secret service and 
it just just that whole scenario from the 70s and the days of Kissinger to to now um you know what I, you know what I mean, and and because there's per, so many personalities involved in the public, right? That um, that in itself causes a change. But just the behaviors of people, like you you must have seen a lot in your day. Yeah, and and my number one job wasn't to to uh, you know as a spy. It was as a, a communicator. You know, I re- I reported things and stuff like that. It's sort of funny, and Joe can relate to this. But there's there are systems that I used to use that are. In, in some of the older sections at the NSA cryptology yep, museum, yep. you know. Yeah, Stu, too. Give me a Stu. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, when I first got to Special Forces in, in the 80s, I had this black painted uh, aluminum Halliburton case. You open it up, and part of the encryption tools looked like a friction toy. You round it up so you could, you wound it up so that you would put in your encrypted message and then it would unwind like a burst. It'd be faster than your Morse code. <laughs> and it's like we're with, you know, I, I, I'm thinking maybe I could roll this thing on the ground and let it go. And it, you know, it burst my radio out. But uh, yeah, so uh, certainly from the technology side, right? The um, When I first got to the Secret Service, we were still using Niagara reel-to-reel, uh, you know, about six inch across Niagara reel-to-reel recorders <laughs> and uh, pen uh, pen registers, which machines and all they did was record the number that you were calling they weren't recording the call they were just getting the digits right (laughs) so lots the first time the first time i was uh, on a deal where we're working funny money at the secret service i mean the van looked like a a shaggy uh snooby doo (laughs) van right it had shag on it and the recorders water bed and it's like Oh yeah, and then you had a big, you had a big Nike <laughs> waterbed, yeah, and you had a big Nikon with a big lens, and it was E6 film that was slides that had to be, you know, processed that way. So yeah, now we've got digital everything. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's just amazing how much things have changed, and uh, and along with it, you know, and stuff. Do you? So how do you? How do you capture the bad guy, the bad person, the one that's causing the trouble, or the evil characters? in your books like um because you know you don't sound that way yourself or i mean it's easy for someone oh, like joe hey, hey. no i yeah, see because joe, joe is that way naturally but a nice guy like you how do you how do you capture someone to be evil and make it believable i um spend a spent used to spend a lot of my career thinking from that perspective uh red team a physical site red team a computer um um, and if you're red teaming, that means you have permission to attack the site, things like that. Um, you know, have even done some black side things where technically I had permission, but nobody, but one person at the, at the commercial company, the bank knew that we were doing what we were doing. So, um, thinking as the adversary is something I've done since I got into the military, oftentimes like White House communication, I would get, pretty spun up thinking that somebody was uh, messing with our communications and uh, I'd find out it was, I'd figure it out later that it was our own harmonics <laughs> that, were, that were shutting down. So, we did it to ourselves. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, like we went to Atlanta one time and we've got these base stations all over. So the walkie talkies for the secret service work where, you know, line of sight kind of stuff. And every now and again, we just get blanked out and it was like, we figured it out finally that it was our communications, the radio systems, and a new pager company that was blasting every time it send out pages. 
every time, it, not every time, but occasionally it would hit this just right combination of other radio stations and us transmitting. And it was like we were shut off. It's like, okay, you know, what's going on? So I, I've had that, uh, not a bad guy mentality, but that think like the adversary mentality for a long time. And so, uh, you know, I also pass it by other people so I don't get too Dr. Doom or Dr. Evil. Um, as I think of, I think of my bad guys, um, you know, it's been said many times, but they think they're a hero and they think they're doing the right thing or they think they're doing a good thing for their family. Maybe not the right thing. You know, they're doing something illegal, but it's good for their family. They've got reasons for doing what they do. Um, sometimes beyond just prop up margin and things like that. So, um, that's how I put myself into the, you know, I might write it. My first draft might be overboard and I'll back it up to give it some balance. And so that, uh, somebody can look at the, the, my bad people and understand why they're doing things. Maybe not agree with it, hopefully, but, uh, you know, uh, that I'm not, not creating a comical character. So when you're putting your, together your wall of little yellow stickies and <laughs> creating your, your bad guy, do you, how do you track that? Do you have a notebook with you? Do you just, do you, voice memo in how do you how do you put these pieces together you got a lot of pieces there yeah so i'm also a, a research nut i'm always uh reading things and looking at things whether it's technology or politics you know uh, bloomberg and other things like that and so um uh, even from a corporate risk standpoint things like that and and so um i create character list then i create character bios um, you can see those on my website. I've got, you know, at least two pages on the character. Some people I've gone deeper or taken a while to sort of think of their backstory. Like in the first book, the, the first person to hook up with Lance, his name is Kieran Kennedy and he's like a cousin of the Kennedys. Well, I got into research and found out that Senator Kennedy had joined the army and was an intel analyst for a while and different things like that. So I build that in. I've got a friend who, from Boston, that whole area. And, uh, you know, at one point uh, in the third book, I include um, the wine business and, and some of the things that used to go on and, uh, in Boston when they were trying to move liquor around during Prohibition and stuff like that. Uh, things, tunnels that are still there and stuff. So I get into these characters and I, sometimes I go a little bit too deep and I only use, you know, 10 or 15% of what I've done, but um, I do like creating those characters like that and giving them some depth that I can draw on if I need to. And maybe not this book, but the next book, you know, I'll explain more of that. So, but the big question is, is, um, have we been to the moon? Was that fake? <laughs> Don't go there. I teach that. Stop that. <laughs> the world is flat. Someone just asked me that yesterday. Was a moon landing fake? Oh, man. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Conspiracy theorists. Nice. I love it. Yeah. But Steve knows. Steve knows. He was there. He was on the moon? I was part of the well, moon. He was, yeah. The, come on. You know, it's come on. Fess up. It's funny. In Area the Army, 51. the Rangers come say on. they lead the way. In, Green, in Special Forces, we say the Rangers lead the way after Green Berets mark the drop zone. So, uh, yes, I, <laughs> I, I was part of the welcoming party, made sure the photo shoots, the camera was stable. Um, yeah. I'm not David Goggins. Yeah. I didn't run there with no shirt on, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Try harder next time. Well, you know, we we just we're trying to find the truth here. So we are. Well, <laughs> oh, we, yeah. 
talking about the wrong show. <laughs> well, okay. So now, Steve, um, are you big on social media? You're all over the place. Have you got a website? Where do you like readers to come find you, or do you like to interact with readers? Yeah, I love interacting with readers. I love getting reviews. I love it when somebody, like my ARC for my book is out now. I'm doing an ARC promotion, uh, advanced reader copy promotion. And uh, people are saying, hey, did you see this? Did you see that? And I'm like, no, I didn't. And I'm sending it right off to my publisher. Um, but, uh, yeah, so you can get to me at uh, stephenstrattonusa.com and, uh, or I'm Stratton Books on, what do we call it now, X? I guess we call it X. It's Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't go to the dark side. <laughs> the X files. Yeah, yeah. Don't go there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's... <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I'm on social media. Uh, I've got a website. Um, if people are interested, um, I'm giving actually away, uh, uh, a t- ticket. Somebody can come with me or if they've got a friend, I have two tickets to a Bronco game, uh, air fight and hotel for the grand prize winner. So, um, you know, I'm using some of these things I've accumulated, like a millionaire miles and other things. But I create these giveaways for people that are nice enough to give me reviews of my advanced reader copy. And especially when they're honest with me, because um, I love feedback and, and I learn from every piece of feedback. Yeah, Steve's so. got great giveaways. I gave away a pen and a coin. He's given away fishing trips and... Football tickets and yeah, um, yeah. For the, you have knives this time. Is you have you have take, knives taking people to the moon? Area <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> that, that. Yeah, that was pre-book days, but um, the moon. But uh, yeah, the um, yeah. yeah, I'm very lucky that you know I've accumulated all those commercial air miles and things over time. And and uh, funny story, but uh, when the grand prize winner came out to to do trout fishing with me, it was October, so I've got a picture of he and I. Uh, trout fishing as the snow was falling and, and he was from Alabama and he thought it was pretty darn cold. So, uh, I mean, I remember that. Was that Mark? Yeah. Yeah. That's Mark. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that picture. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he loved, it. I'm sure he loved it. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, now he fishes, fly fishes, mud puddles in Alabama or something, whatever they do there, you know? Uh, but, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm lucky in that. Uh, respect, but I am on social media. I love hearing from people who are just readers of the genre. You know, I'm, uh, I help yeah. support all the other, uh, my co-authors like Joe and other people. I think it's important to be part of the community and just, um, uh, you know, not only Joe writes, uh, you write Joe. I plagiarize. I take it from Steve. I think, <laughs> I, you know, I think actually I, I'm wondering how much AI is involved in that, Al. Uh, That's right. I teach that too. Thank you very much. Bad connection for me. I can't hear you. Yeah, yeah. Joe's not even a real. It, it, he doesn't exist. That's just an AI. I'm a I'm Dali. Yeah. yeah. I, I happen to believe, like uh, Brad Thor said, that yeah, I can write a story, but there's no heart, there's no interest, there's no anything to it at this point. Um, but uh, yeah, whole nother interesting well, subject. Yeah. So. Yeah, this is one that's. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what is your website so people can get it? Sure, it would be www.stevenstrattonusa.com. Stephen Stratton USA.com is my website. Great. Yep. Wow. Thanks. Fantastic. We'll have all that up so people can find it real easy. 
and they don't even have to know how to spell. They can just do it. They can just do it, right? It's click and uh, you know, it's all like most writers. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, Joe already has that field set right with his AI. So yep. it transfers to his website. There we go. Yeah. Wow. It's all good. It's all very good. nice. Well, we appreciate you being here. And of course, your latest book is called The Sa- Shadow Sanction. It's Mr. Steve Stratton. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed my time here. Thank you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.